I guess you're saying that you don't think Axe Infinity, as it currently is, is a compelling game. It's getting better, but I think until, say, a couple of months ago, it definitely wasn't a compelling game. And it was basically almost like a, had, had like a Ponzi-nomic economy where um, people were just putting capital um, because they knew that others were putting capital and they knew that their returns were funded by uh, the future players, the future capital inflows. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Floyd's Rising. We continue this week uh, with our uh, NFT awards. The category that we're going to talk about this week is people's favorite NFT games. Um, this category was not as popular as some of the other categories with uh, our voters. Um, hence, instead of a top four, we only have a top three this week, but we have one of the sort of most insightful writers, um, sort of thought leaders in the NFT gaming space with us today is uh, Veda Research, aka Meta Gultkin. Uh, welcome to the show, Meta. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Meta, can you just briefly, uh, I guess, fill our audience in with, um, you know, how you got into the NFT space and what you're currently, I guess, doing in, in, the, in the space? Sure. Um, so I have a finance background. I used to work for an American investment firm. Um, we did a lot of investing in, in fintech and tech and startups, um, early stage, early stage startups, late stage startups. So I ended up doing a lot of kind of due diligence into these companies. I also love gaming. I'm, 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 I used to play a lot of games, uh, still playing a lot of games. And um, beginning of last year, I, I came across the, the intersection of um, gaming and crypto is blockchain gaming, which also, you know, incorporated fintech and open economies and, and, and game theory that just got me so excited um, that I just decided to um, resign from my job and just go full-time blockchain gaming, analyzing uh, existing games, economies, and, and um, putting out content which evolved into a consultancy called Veda Research, which, which is what I'm currently working on right now. The first game coming in in third place uh, is a very, very OG sort of NFT game. Some people would call it, you know, definitely one of the, one of the OG sort of NFT games, and that's uh, Gods Unchained. So Gods Unchained is a, is a um, collectible cards game. Um, so I'm not, very familiar with cards on chains, you know, specific rules, but usually in a collectible cards game, these are called like either tradable collectible cards game or, you know, collectible cards game. You usually have um, a set of um, cards, a deck of cards that you build. Um, and, and there it's like a turn-based, you know, game, almost like a chess where you play your card but um, you can't stack your deck. So for example, you choose a deck of 30 cards and you can't stack them. Um, the cards are shuffled and you don't know which card you're going to pick. So you have, let's say, four hands in your 
um, deck and every new turn you're you're basically pulling a new card and then you're playing it against an op- against an opponent and the idea is to you know um, there, there's usually each each uh, player has a hero and the idea is to um, basically kill the hero um, because every hero has a health point and and every card has an attack point etc. And so, you know, these like collectible card games, TCGs have been around for, for a long time. Um, the, the OG game is Magic the Gathering, um, but the digital collectible card games have been popular um, with, with a, an Activision Blizzard game called Hearthstone, which is around um, kind of making, making the card games out of um, World of Warcraft um, characters. And um, what what blockchain actually brings to the table to, to these collectible cards games is that, you know, with, with the traditional card games, you can buy the card, but you're not able to sell it because there isn't a marketplace where you can sell these cards on a secondary market. Again, I'm talking about digital card games, the physical card games, of course, you can sell them, but in the digital card games, you can sell them on the secondary market. So you don't actually like, you don't have any ownership um, on, on these card games and and the way the games work is that they incentivize you to constantly trade so that you can you know they they can't the, the game developers content constantly change the game design so that you have to constantly you know sell some cards buy new cards um with, to keep up with the meta and to keep up with the with the competition um, you know, it's it's pretty profitable for the free-to-play games, the traditional, you know, Web2 games, because as a player, you can sell the card and you need to constantly buy new cards. Um, what what games like, you know, um, Gods Unchained or Splinterlands or Skyviewer, these are the collectible card games, um, help with, with, with the integration of blockchain is that, you know, they basically allow you to own the cards and trade them and buy them and sell them. And um, in, in, in every of these kind of TCGs, the blockchain-based collectible card games, there is some sort of a wagering model where if you do um, believe in your skills, you can, you can get into almost like a, like a mini tournament and uh, wager your own capabilities. Again, the payment layer of um, blockchain payment and smart contract layer really help with this. Because Unchained being a being a trading card game is, uh, you, you kind of mentioned it. It's 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 a trading card game on the blockchain. Trading card games have been around a long time, and this is, I think, a category of games that's very common where you know people translate a genre that is, exists outside of crypto and then they bring it sort of into crypto. Um, and I think you've written about this that um, that this you know may or may not successfully translate because the the mere fact that you know you financialize these cards could change the entire game because if I'm not wrong because I've played some of these games um, sort of on the on the phone and usually the the business model um, of these games is kind of it's really like a, a whale. Um, sort of, sort of harvesting whales, right? Where the majority of the people are kind of free to play, and you've got to like grind, 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 and sort of grind these cards. But then, if you spend, you can buy like you know very good cards that the free to play players can't really 
get or, or can't really get without sort of grinding a huge amounts of hours. And then that's kind of the business model that you kind of take a shortcut through. Um, and, and this kind of changed, I guess, somewhat um, in the blockchain space. I'm, I'm wondering how you feel about, you know, bringing it, bringing this genre onto the blockchain and how this either has or has not changed, I guess, the genre itself and, and, and how the ecosystem kind of works in these sort of trading type games. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, it, it depends on the game balance as well. Like if you, if you have um, a balanced game where, you know, even if you have a lot of money and you can buy all the cards um, it's, 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 it's about more kind of like your win rate is more affected by how you're tactically playing rather than uh, the strength of the card then, you know, they wouldn't, there wouldn't be that type of play-to-win element. And I think um, most of the blockchain-based TCEs, except for Splinterlands, have been trying to balance that aspect to avoid pay-to-win situations. Um, but, you know, no matter how much you balance, that's that's kind of inevitable. And, and I guess the blockchain-based games would try to, at least should, try to monetize through um, more like, cosmetics or like wagering you know like um people who, who buy cosmetics even in like traditional free-to-play web2 games they usually are the players who are like really hard you know diehard um fans of the games so yeah how do you think that will be important or not in, in the sense that um will we see like for example that uh if you want to call it the increasing financialization of the space for example is it going to be uh, that a lot of these Web3 games um, will be increasingly, you know, the, the focus will be more on the standalone asset or, or individual NFT value? Or is gameplay and game design um, going to be important? I, I know you've touched on some of this uh, in your writing and in terms of how, for example, uh, you know, you, how one can create a kind of optimal game economy, but how do you see um, Gods Unchained, you know, performing in this respect and, and more generally in the space? What, what I'm seeing how, how the, the, the economy design is evolving is um, I think having, giving permanent utility for game NFTs are going to be pretty problematic in the longer term because it is going to um, prevent like further growth as it's, it's going to, first of all, make rich richer, like make early investors become kind of like passive, uh, almost like passive kind of earners who don't participate much to the economy. And it's, it could also lead to a lot of speculative activity where you know, the, the whole ecosystem will mostly be dominated by speculators. And at some point, the game slash economy designers of that specific game would realize that and would have to make some changes, but that will just further frustrate um, the, the NFT holders, especially if, you know, if, if someone just bought the NFT on a secondary market with the expectation that its price will further go up because, you know, they have read a, read a post on um, the, the game's blog, et cetera. Um, so I think the, the, the design of the NFTs are, are pretty 
Um, it's, it's a very difficult topic. It's a very like sensitive topic in my opinion. Um, just because the rewards you attach to the NFT has, you know, some opportunity cost. It's, it's opportunity cost that, that, that could have been as influence to the, um, game economy, game ecosystem. Um, so that's number one. So, um, and number two is it, it mostly, uh, encourages, encourages speculative activity, rather than um, early kind of players, power players, or like more power community members participating and, and having aligned incentives. Our second uh, place getter in, in, in the games category is uh, Forgotten Ruins uh, Wizards. I'll kind of chime in here because um, I think this is a, I was kind of surprised. Maybe it's, it's, it's because of the, you know, the, the, the people that were surveyed, but um, this project, Forgotten Ruins, didn't actually start out as a NFT uh, gaming project. Uh, it actually started its life as a, basically as a, as a, as a PFP project. Um, it was like a 10K sort of PFP sale. Um, and then over time, because of the, the popularity, the, um, the project has kind of expanded into into I guess metaverse they, they have like a rune verse um, it's also expanded into the, the NFT gaming um, uh, genre because you know they have they have a world um, sort of like a, a metaverse that they're building um, they have sort of various characters and not just the wizards but they also um, airdrop like ponies and, and and various different characters all of which are sort of usable in a in a particular game so it's really <clears throat> I would say like um, it's it's not a typical sort of NFT game where the, where uh, it, it 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 kind of appeal to that kind of crowd because I would say there is a pretty strong delineation between, for example, people who are interested in sort of PFPs, people who are interested in art, people who are interested in NFT gaming. Like there is some crossover, but obviously not a lot of crossover. Um, and this, I guess, has sort of crossed over from the PFP side to the um, to the to the to the gaming side, um, and so that could be a reason why um, you know Mete that you know you're not as familiar with it because it it it's kind of crossing over from another genre, um, so to speak. You know, I sometimes get the feeling that a, that a game, uh, if the if the so-called artwork or the PFP uh, centric element is is predominates. Then one one would ask like, well, how significant is the gameplay as as a um, as an additional incentive for either speculators or people who are actually you know in it for the game uh, to come on? And what you've just said seems to suggest that because it's a so-called crossover project uh, with Roots as a 10k PFK project, that somehow it's it's the artwork that came first and then the gameplay was you know overlaid onto that um do you have any sense of how well what's your sense about how uh, important the gameplay is for for forgotten runes uh in terms of the appeal of it uh, sure. uh i mean i mean there is no gameplay right like this is a <laughs> this is a game that's still being Still formulated built. yeah still being or, built right yeah. because uh, and do you think that do you think that that will change anything if it were a really compelling if the gameplay were really compelling or do you think that it will kind of like i mean of course right the, the, the question is not 
whether compelling gameplay will, will change anything. I guess, I guess the question in, in the NFT gaming space is, is one, is, is compelling gaming possible, right? I mean, there are some people who say like compelling gaming is not possible because it's kind of like, um, it's, it's kind of <laughs> like, um, you know, when you add sort of financial assets into mm -hmm. uh, into that kind of space, like, like it's kind of like, um, it's a paradox, like a yeah. contradiction in terms. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a kind mm. of a contradiction. Like it's kind of, you can't sort of mix oil and water. So there are there are a group of people who say that, and then and then I guess the second group of people would say like, of course, compelling gaming is whatever I was aiming for, but no one knows what it is. It's one of these things. It's like it's like we'll know it when we see it, but no one knows what it is because we haven't seen it yet. Um, so uh, that's I mean I, I guess they're kind of two. Um, I mean, I don't know, Mete, whether you, you'd agree that we haven't really seen a like a like a very compelling sort of NFT game up to this point, um, uh, or, or, or at least compelling in the sense that it's equally you know it's an even balance between um, the the gameplay and and just the collectability of the 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 tokens, right? Because that's the that's the question, like how. How does one strike a balance between things that seem to be yeah. cross purposes? Yeah. How would you define what a compelling game is? Like, but for example, um, well, let, let, let me introduce our, our our first game, and then I'll, and then I'll give examples. So, so the the game that came number one, um, sort of voted first um, in the favorite NFC game, is Axie Infinity, right? And and um, I, I introduced Axie Infinity because because I want to use them to make this point to, to your question, which is that um, Axie Infinity was, was a game that uh, basically brought a ton of people into, into both NFTs, into NFT gaming, into crypto. Like, like people who never were in crypto before got brought in, right? And previously, this was the hallmark of what, what the definition of a compelling NFT game is, right? Like if you bring all these people who are never in crypto and they got brought into crypto because of your game, your game is super compelling. Uh, that was what the definition was. But I think a lot of people after seeing how this Axie Infinity experience went, um, kind of changed the definition go, well, no, people didn't really come into Axie Infinity because it was a compelling game. They came in because like they wanted to speculate and there was the financial rewards and it wasn't because it was a compelling game. Uh, and, and so, and, and so now I think a bunch of people would say, well, you know, the compelling game is like if you bring people in, but they're not really like here kind of speculating on the increase in the assets. They, ha they have to kind of be either sort of revenue neutral or, or even, uh, you know, revenue earners for the project to, to sort of classify it as a, as, a, as a compelling game. But I mean, Mete, um, I'll, I'll let you sort of kick off, I guess, um, um, how, how you would introduce sort of Axie Infinity. I know it's a, it's a project you're very familiar with um, to, to, to our audience. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess a compelling game is where, you know, someone is willing to spend time playing that game and they're either willing to, um, they're also willing to maybe even spend money on that game just to, you know, have fun, relax, um, de-stress, for for completely physiological reason it's for them like playing game the if, if they didn't play games maybe they would you know watch netflix maybe they go out meet friends maybe they check um, a social networking app right so 
they they play the game with completely physiological motivations and they enjoy it so much that they wouldn't mind spending on you know booster packs and cosmetics and battle passes etc so that's kind of how i think about players who play compelling games and and the, to understand whether a game is compelling or not i guess um for especially um the web to free to play games the best metrics would be to look at how much they earn in revenue and profits by selling these like uh, in-game um, microtransactions, in-game assets, and and what the kind of number of users are, and most importantly, what the uh, the retention is for every every player cohort. Uh, now with Web3 games like Axie Infinity, that has kind of changed the um the, what what. The, the the whole kind of framework in a sense that um, actually has high retention and has uh, high DAU and has an exponential, you know, DAU growth. So a lot of the kind of VCs and, and people um, thought that, you know, people were playing actually because it's such a compelling game and it has these retention ratios that, that would compete with um, Supercell games. Um, but when you actually like dive deeper into why people play Axie. Like when you um, meet some of the Axie holders, even on Discord or some Axie so-called scholars and ask them, you know, why are you playing this game? Um, you you quickly get into the conclusion that they just play it for the earnings. Um, so the, the Axie holders, buyers, they buy the Axies because they want to earn more. And the players are playing because, you know, they can basically make two, three bucks um, and an hour playing the game. So um, with, with, within those kind of, um, within those facts, you start looking at the capital inflows more than kind of the, the year and retention and quickly realize that the, the growth is actually driven by uh, the high financial earnings rather than kind of pure organic um, demand and and this is this is proven by basically um, the difference between uh, the number of you know players playing Axie now versus say one year ago when Axie was almost at its its peak um, you see that now you know there are almost like negative financial returns and and very low earnings um, and 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 that is why um, you know the 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 number of active users, number the number of active user figures have gone down, even though the gameplay is actually better than what it was one year ago. So, so then I guess you're saying that you don't think Axie Infinity, as it currently is, is a compelling game. Oh yeah, it, it wasn't. I mean, you know, they're they're improving on it, and they hired um, a game designer, a very you know, talented game designer from Niantic, who is kind of the the um the the own the creator of Pokemon Go. Um now it's getting better, but I think until say a couple of months ago, it definitely wasn't a compelling game. And it was basically almost like a had had like a Ponzi-nomic economy where um people were just putting capital um because they knew that others were putting capital and they knew that their returns were funded by uh, the future players, the future capital inflows. Um, and yeah. So it seems like you're saying like 
the direction that Axie Infinity is going is that they are trying to create a game that is not primarily motivated by uh, sort of speculation and people trying to, um, uh, you know, make income, so to speak. That this is the this is this is an explicit product direction that they've kind of outlined. Um, and I mean, given that they are sort of the I mean, they have the most resources out of anyone in the NFT gaming space. Like, um, I'm interested to hear your opinion of a whether um, you think it is it is possible for them to to do that. Um, and then, you know, one thing that I've seen very interesting um, that you wrote about is sort of comparison between sort of Web three gaming and um, and and the nightclub ecosystem right that's a, this is a very uh, interesting thesis that you put out and, and whether you see uh whether axie infinity's kind of model is is moving towards that kind of nightclub thesis that, that you kind of put out yeah thanks thanks for mentioning the article so they they are trying to you know um actually is trying to make a compelling game they do have funds and they are hiring people and trying to build games you know like building fun games um is is definitely not easy and i, I don't want to like uh talk as if i have built a, a game before i haven't but having having talked to so many game designers and developers and having played so many games i can i can easily say that um, it's it's not solvable only by money, and if it was if it was, you know, a lot of the large game publishers would have multiple like billion dollar franchises. But in reality, they're just you know milking the same franchises by by having a new expansion pack or a new version every every new year. Um, I think like it's it actually has um, they're trying to do their best, but they have a tough road down the line. Um, just because like number one, the, um, the only way, you know, a game can be sustainable, a game economy can be sustainable if there are players who are willing to pay or willing to spend without having any financial return expectations. And Axie has this brand uh, and reputation that, um, that the traditional gamers who actually spend money in the games are not a fan of. Um, just because, you know, actually is this like role model of, of NFT gaming where you can just play a game and you can earn money. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two, I think is that there are a lot of, um, a lot of resentment from the community. A lot of, you know, people have, have lost money and a lot of people are, are, um, disappointed because, the expectations and hopes that were pumped out during Axie's kind of hyper growth phase have, have not been met. Um, and another reason is that, you know, it's the competition is, is, is fierce. A lot of the experienced web two game developers are quitting their jobs and, and, and building web three games right now. And I, I, I do believe that, um, it's going to be more and more difficult to get attention of Web3 gamers and, and the traditional gamers. And, and on the, to, to add on your second question, um, so the, the thesis around the nightlife and, and Web3 games is around that, you know, um, so in Web2 games, 
you can't pay your players with real money. You know, you can't give them any type of rewards, but you can give them the, the most premium, you know, content, the, the best skin, but you can't give them money. Um, but in Web3 games, you know, you can you can easily pay people. Um, and you can even, even better is you can like pay them with your own token, which further uh, aligns incentives and further makes them, you know, even, even more loyal and, and potentially uh, increases their LTV and ARPU and, and, and retention. Um, but so the question is, you know, you have this almost like a, like a subsidy, you know, budget, let's call them like subsidy tokens, subsidy equity. Um, and you're arguing to allocate, say, you know, 20, 30% of these to the community. The question is, who do you allocate it to and, and, and how and at what magnitude? Um, which is obviously like one of the problems, you know, that we're trying to solve at Vader Research as a tokenomics consultancy. Um, if you just reward speculators or players who are just grinding to earn money and they don't add any value to the economy, you're basically, you know, throwing out value. You're basically diluting your your your, your valuation because those people are just uh, trying to earn, um, and they will cash out the moments the the returns dry up because they're not here for the game. Whereas if there are some like players or some community members who are willing to you know add value or willing to create something, uh, this could be you know via like I don't know. Um, Making making designs, uh, helping with uh, with the developers with, with some you know programming, um, you know it, it or like having a new um, mod for the game, etc. Then there is a real value creation happening, and um, what I was trying to explain with the what I was trying to like make parallels with the uh, nightclubs analogy is that you know in 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 nightclubs um, there are like certain group of people whose existence lead um, the, the say, you know, VIP table um, owners to spend even more money or spend more time or make some come back to the club. So the idea is that why not pay players whose interactions lead to the person who interacted with them to spend even more money or or to come to play the game even more and an example is with um could could make more sense with more of these like games where there's a lot of social interaction or there are um these like so-called web2 guilds where you know um you, you you're a member of a guild you're maybe a guild leader and your members rely on you and your members you know count on you and because you know that they count on you and because, you know, maybe they said, oh, thank you, you're the best, you're the king. Um, if you end up spending more money, you know, maybe the person that that encouraged you could be rewarded. Uh, you know, maybe that would be a better way to allocate the the subsidy token resources, subsidy equity resources, rather than, you know, randomly allocating it to grinders and speculators was, was kind of the main uh, idea behind that thesis. Do you think it's possible that it's not possible to to build something that's fun uh, with NFT games in the traditional sense that people are willing to uh, essentially consume, like they're 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 
they're, they're willing to be consumers um, in the in the web two sense, right? That they're willing to sort of buy things um, and consume things without expecting sort of financial gain. Do, do you think that it's possible that this is not possible <laughs> in the NFT space? Oh, one thing I'm worried about is a change in behavior where, mm. and I guess that's, that's, that goes to the heart of the question as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's say you are a, a traditional gamer and you are used to spending money and you don't expect anything in return. But now when you buy that, I don't know, that sword, um, you know that that is actually worth like, I don't know, $50 and you can sell it on the secondary market mm-hmm. or, you know, the the rewards, the, the virtual gold you earn with that sword, like instead of investing that back into the sword and upgrading the sword, if you know that you can actually sell those tokens and, and order a dinner, um, you know, it would it change your behavior as a player? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if, if you end or if you end up selling that sword at a loss, you know, would you, would you have like a, would you have a bad experience and would that, ex, ex, would that affect your experience? Um, so those are like some of the, some of the concerns that I, I also have. Um, and I, I, I think we will see as, as more data comes out with, with these more games being played, I think we will have a better understanding of the player behavior, but that risk is definitely there. Let's push this nightclub analogy a bit with this, right? And conduct this experiment. Because, you know, VIP tables in nightclubs was not always a thing, right? There was once upon a time um, where, you know, nightclubs um, or, or bars or night spots or, or restaurants or, you know, uh, was just all sort of general mission and there was no sort of, buying bottles and, and whatever and and people were sort of happy to be there and spend and just stand and, and whatever it is but somewhere along the line this vip table got added and <laughs> when it got added i would i would presume that it changed the experience for the people there right where there were because there was no vip table there was no vips that everyone was happy to be you know, at a certain status level, but because, you know, you saw other people who were now at VIPs, that would trigger some sort of status anxiety, I guess, for a, a lot of people um, where now they have to sort of um, uh, change, I guess, their status because now their status has been changed for them um, in that sense. So similarly, I think in, in NFT gaming, could it, could it be that if you know that that if there was no prospect of anyone making any money, everyone would be quite happy just spending money and you know being happy playing the game? But once you see <laughs> someone making a lot of money in the game you're playing, just consuming the game doesn't seem like they're as enjoyable as when nobody was making money. Um, that's you know <laughs> something that I that 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 you know that that I think about whether, whether these uh, whether whether the whole just NFT game, even though the game is the same, but you know the financialization have actually changed people's status to each other, uh, and, and 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 essentially which changes how people enjoy things, even though practically speaking it it hasn't. But 
you know, sociologically speaking, it has in a sense. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I, I guess, you know, um, to an extent, free to play games already had some of this problem, um, mm. where you know some some players can spend and they can they can play with the shiniest, I don't know, um, cosmetic or skin, whereas others can't and might affect their experience. Um, but the blockchain just just uh, maybe it doesn't magnify the play to win element, but it does magnify the financialization element, and it might really affect the the behavior and what what players perceive as fun or as as entertainment. One of the first um, when we talk about guns unchained, and you mentioned sort of Magic the Gathering, um, you know, I, I actually hearken back to, to to something that happened to Magic the Gathering that that probably could be informative for, for NFT games. You know, Magic Gathering um, sort of gathered steam uh, in, the, in the late 90s. Um, but that momentum was actually stopped to some extent in the, in the 2000s. And it was, it was stopped by, by another game. And that game was called Poker. <laughs> so a lot of top Magic Gathering players moved mm-hmm. from Magic Gathering to Poker uh, because it was more financially rewarding essentially they're playing Magic Gathering. And a lot of these Magic Gathering players who probably were there for maybe for financial awards moved to poker. And then similarly, a lot of poker players moved to <laughs> NFTs and crypto um, in, <laughs> in, recent, in recent years as well. And I'm, I'm, and I'm wondering whether, you know, these kind of things can be informative because poker itself is, is I mean, you, you couldn't really say that people are... Um, there are a lot of people playing poker who, who lose a lot of money. Um, and to some extent, they, they, they get enjoyment out of it. But I'm wondering whether, you know, the, the whole phenomenon of people losing up poker and, and continuing to put money into poker can be kind of studied by, by NFT games um, and whether that might be a more accurate um, uh, mental model, I guess, for, for how the players think than, than maybe like Web2 games um, like... Uh, like the trading card games or all the MMOs or, you know, the, all, all the other games that people are kind of studying. Maybe, maybe poker is a, you know, would be a better, I guess, um, model for people to study as to, as, as to how to design their games um, to kind of appeal uh, in the Web3 space. Yeah, that, 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 that is a very interesting observation. That's actually a great point. I am actually like um, spending a lot of time playing poker right now to understand that behavior as well because i do think one sustainable model for blockchain gaming is this like wagering slash gambling model um the perception of how skilled you are which you know ends up making you spend money making a rational person spend money um i think is very interesting and probably would be the future of of uh, blockchain gaming um market yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, no, it's 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 been awesome fun having you here. I'll give you the, I guess, the final word um, on on kind of our NFT gaming awards episode. Uh, maybe you'd like to, I guess, just say something about um, maybe all the games that we we talked about, or maybe something about sort of NFT gaming in general. But I'll I'll give you the final word. Sure. Um, I mean, thanks a lot. I really really enjoyed this. And um, in in general, I do I do believe in the future of blockchain gaming and um, open economies and financialization um, do allow for a lot of interesting flexibility, but there are definitely challenges. 
Um, so just excited to be in this area. And, and again, thanks for all the listeners for, for listening. Great. Thank you, Meta, for, for joining us on, on this episode of Floor Advising. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow. And give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Floor is Rising.